Ayo, welcome into the CHGO White Sox postgame show presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Welcome into a remote version of the CHGO White Sox podcast. I'm your host, Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. And alongside me, as always, is Vinny Duber. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. He is the CHGO White Sox beat writer, and that's Vinny I-E, not Y. And down below is Herb Lawrence. Hello. You can follow him on Twitter at Ecknerwall23. That's Lawrence backwards and 23 for Robin Ventura. We mm. were deep in the heart of Texas. The White Sox lose this one. They fall to 53 and 52, losing exactly. this one. Three to two against the Texas Rangers. And I bring up Robin Ventura because I want to talk about one thing off the bat. We got Vinny wanting to fight something. Uh, but also, can we stop playing the Robin Ventura getting his ass beat by Nolan Ryan video? Do you guys still enjoy that? Today was the, uh, the I guess, 29th year anniversary of that happening. I, I'm sick of seeing it. I'd agree. Yeah, I, I, that can go away. <laughs> All the time. I've never liked it as a big time Rob Ventura fan, but yeah, I mean, they find joy there. I saw one of my friends retweeted. They have a mural of that moment on one of their buildings out there. It's like, I get it. Well, that's kind of funny, but let's, let's move (laughs) on, man. I know Nolan's a legend out there in Texas, but it hurts some of us. That's kind of funny. Turning it into public art. I kind of is an, is a fresh spin on it. I feel like, uh, but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's a thing that like it literally just every time they play the Rangers, it's like this is the most notable thing that had ever occurred between the two teams. I'm sure, you can find some old highlight of like you know, right? Alex Rios doing something good against against this old team or something. Paul like that. Harrelson going down to find Todd Frazier's right. uh, health is the best thing that's ever happened in that ballpark ever. You you brought him up in the pregame in 2003 at the cell. At the 2003 All-Star Hank game. Hank Blaylock, yes. Hank Blaylock was the MVP. So yeah. let's give the respect to Hank Blaylock. Hey. Michael Young had to have killed the White Sox once. We need to get uh, some new footage. Uh, let's let's make it happen. Maybe Adelise Garcia dropping that fly ball in right field will be forever played on White Sox broadcast from here on out. Uh, not really an exciting game, an interesting game in some sorts, just because Raggins was making his debut for the Rangers, Johnny Cueto goes eight innings, and the White Sox don't have to use a single bullpen arm. And the offense walked, didn't do much else. What sticks out the most to you guys from this loss? The, I mean, come on, it's the lack of the bats, right? I mean, how many times have we sang this song over and over again this season? You talk about being sick of something, Sean. I bet everybody's sick of hearing about how the White Sox didn't score many runs. Um, to only get two against, uh, I, I mean, you know, you don't care who the pitchers are at this point. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? These guys are major leaguers. They they, they can they're going to have good days, and the White Sox offense is going to have bad days. But they've had way too many bad days. And uh, for a team that was supposed to bash the ball, we finally saw the lineup all together tonight. Didn't do anything. Uh, I mean, the, the the biggest hit of the evening was uh, your you know your guy Adolis kicking the ball out there in mm-hmm. right center field. So um, this team needs to you know what I mean? Like it whether you're hitting a home run or whether you're hitting a double down the line or whether you're just hitting four singles in a row, you can't settle for two runs against a sub 500 team. And the White Sox have done this way too many times this year. Um, way too many times when Johnny Cueto is pitched, by the way. Uh, and uh, here, here we are again, talking about it again. So of course that's the thing that sticks out because it's a problem that will not go away. And the biggest problem I think is between, even though he came through late in the game, 
Yohan Mankata struggling with runners in scoring position, and then Yasmani Grandal just being lost totally. The Yohan Mankata first inning at bat, it's just like, I mean, when you have um, the, not the first inning bat, the one that he, um, you see Andrew Vaughn walk on five straight pitches. You got the kid on the thing, and I think it was first inning. Uh, you got the kid who's making his first, yeah. first inning of his major league debut. He's struggling. Just walked a guy on five pitches. Pitching coach goes out and talks to him. Man swings at the first pitch. That's not even a real strike. Like, what are we doing there? Like, what's the thought process behind that? You see the kid struggling, and then you bail him out right there. I don't think you have to come through. And, Sean, I think you retweeted some things from uh, Sleepy Herald that Yohan Mankata, more likely than not in runners and scoring position, comes through. But today he had a couple really poor at bats when runners were in scoring position. The White Sox had a chance to really get over these Texas Rangers. And so his at bats and then Yasmani Grandal is just – somebody pointed out, it's like this might be that Adam Dunn season where he started off with two home runs early and then just fell off the table and only hit 11 for the year and was terrible the all year long. And then pretty much his whole White Sox career, Sands 140 home run year. So – I hope he's wrong because he looks lost up there. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to Alex Rude during the game, and he said, you know, the moment they picked off Tavares at second base, like maybe that would have been able to help Yasmani out of his slump at the plate because I think at that point he was 0 for 20, ends up, I think, going 0 for 22. He does draw a walk tonight, which was good, and the White Sox ended up drawing, I believe, five walks. So that was at least a bright spot there. But, yeah, Grandal just doesn't look great at the plate. There was a cutter he got from uh, Raggins there, and it was 87 miles per hour right down the middle. I think we have that pitch. Uh, oh, my Steven. goodness. Uh, I think it was the first Grandal at bat. Um, I'm not sure if we – I thought we had it as a graphic. Yeah, here, here we go. Uh, so he gets a curveball on the first pitch in the dirt, starts off 1-0, then forcing fastball. That was a little outside. And this ump, especially later on in the game, that yeah. probably would have been a called strike. Um, but he gets a nice call. Gets down 2-0, uh, then third pitch is in there. Uh, fourth pitch, he fouls off, and I guess he's looking fastball, and the cutter is just, you know, seven-mile-per-hour difference right there, hmm. and and he's swinging through it. It was a pitch truly right down the middle, and Taylor made for a power swing uh, to a righty right over the middle of the plate, and especially in the first inning there, uh, or hmm. second inning, uh, you, you need him to come through, um, especially with the way the first inning ended, uh, not being able to capitalize on a on bases loaded. Yeah, and you're right. Like, I think Patrick Nolan from uh, Sox Machine uh, ed, uh, tweeted out that he's, like, got two extra base hits in his last 191 plate appearances. That's just bottom of the league production there. I don't know if he's still hurt. I mean, I've never heard that. You mean, he's came back from the IL, but I uh, suppose his legs are under him. But I don't know what's going on with his eye. His bat-to-ball skills are not the same as they were last year. You know, I don't know if you can just lose it that, that quickly, but I hope he regains it somehow. Yeah, well, I see. mean, he's hey, Vin, you're right. You say bottom of the league production. I mean, you can go to the to the stat the stat page and sort it, and he'll be right down there on the bottom or very close to it. Um, it's it's a, it's a shame because we're going on we're in the fifth month of the season here, and and we're still right. talking about this. I mean. Um, Slumps happen, bad half seasons happen, you know what I mean? But this thing uh, is dragged on really for the entire season. And, and certainly before he got hurt, before he got 
hurt in the way that had to put him on the IL, he was still not a hundred percent. I mean, he was very much still battling the, the effects of that knee surgery and it was not coming along quickly for him from a physical standpoint. But when he came back, he actually told us that the back injury made the knee injuries go away Hmm. in a way. I mean, I'm sure, you know, it didn't like do any sort of actual surgery or anything like that, but it, from a feeling standpoint, he felt better in the knees once he was working on rehabbing the back. So uh, he actually said when he came back, it was the best he'd felt all year. This is physically probably the best he's been all year. It is obviously not the best offensively he's been all year, or maybe it is because the bar is pretty low to clear uh, in terms of what he's done <laughs> from a production standpoint. I mean, seriously, it's, yeah. it's not, it, it wasn't meant to be a joke, but it was, I guess, you know, good wordplay there at the very least because, uh, yeah, he, he's one guy who has really not had that moment this year where he has kind of turned it on a little bit. Even Yoan Moncada has been vastly improved. Uh, you know, over the last few weeks or the last month or so. Um, whereas, you know, a guy who who really we know has the capability to be much, 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 much better than this uh, is is down at, you know, Larry Garcia levels. Yeah, and it's weird, too, because Grindall, I mean, once he came off the IL, was pretty, you know, productive. I and mean, in the first five games, eight Looked hits. okay right away, yeah. Yeah, yeah, eight hits, four RBIs, and then just as fallen off the plate uh, ever since hasn't had a hit uh, since the 27th and has I think now three four I'm the math guy so I'm doing math now live on air I think it's five strikeouts in the last five games so uh, he's just been overmatched but maybe it's just a small stretch you know it, it is baseball he got a couple bad calls as well I think late in the game he got one similar that Luis Robert was called in on uh, yep. one that was inside um you know that was a difficult part and, and we'll get to the robert stuff just a little bit later but uh, i want to go to connor's uh, comment here uh saying i want a handwritten apology from every player delivered to johnny cueto tonight we don't deserve his greatness we talked about it on the pregame johnny cueto once again putting them in a position to win eight innings three earned runs. There was a little bit of a shaky part in the sixth inning where I thought he might have been pulled, but he goes eight innings, three earned runs, 11 hits, no walks, four Ks. Uh, what'd you guys make of Cueto tonight? He was Cueto, right? I mean, 11 hits is a lot, but three runs certainly isn't. And and certainly no walks is, is pretty damn good too. Uh, that's what back-to-back starts now for White Sox starters with no walks after Lance uh, uh, had none yesterday. Um he was he looked the way he's looked all year, which is he gives the team a chance to win every time he goes out there. You know he's going to go six innings, and heck, now he's got multiple uh, appearances where he's going eight. Um, it's a guy that it, you know again, no pun intended here, but he's been a horse for them, and uh, you know uh, he's a guy who really has not gotten much in the way of run support, at least anecdotally. I haven't looked up the numbers, but. Um, you know, it, it's this, like I said, same old song and dance, really, because Johnny Cueto was great tonight. He was playing a team that he could easily hold to three runs or less, and that's what he did, and the White Sox offense didn't back him up. The Rangers were getting some good shots off him. There was balls hit really hard, a uh, couple off the bat of Nathan Lowe, who we made fun of in the pregame, because we didn't know who the hell he was. The man was a rocket shots over there, and he made a good catch at first base, but Johnny knew how to get those guys out after getting to early trouble in those innings. And that was good to see. And then the exemplary play that he made heads up play where Yoan is abandoning third because he's got to make the play. And the heads up runner at second tries to go to third, but you know what? Johnny Cueto smart runs over a sprints, catches the ball, tags the guy out, uh, risking himself getting spiked there gets the job done. He just, 
I don't know if I've ever been a person that's been like a legend with four different teams. Because if you ask Giants fans, they love him. They love him in Kansas City. He's brought home a championship. Same thing in Cincinnati. This man is just a legend, and he will be one here in Chicago for what he's done this year. It's just been nothing short of spectacular. He went the whole damn game. Mm-hmm. I know sometimes we're like, Where, where's the bullpen? What's going on? And, yes, Johnny was struggling, I think, in the seventh inning or sixth inning. He got the job done through eight innings, saved the bullpen, and pitched a fantastic game. I don't care if it was versus the Rangers. That is a phenomenal game. Yeah, absolutely. It was a phenomenal game. I mean, he didn't, you know, have blow away stuff, only four strikeouts. But again, he did what Johnny Cueto does using that uh, ability to throw hitters timings off that ability to control any pitch that he wants. And let's look at the pitch mix today because he started off a lot of changeups early on and then started throwing that fastball more and more. And Filthy. we saw he wasn't able to get Nathaniel Lowe exactly who uh, Finney brought up in the pregame. Uh, the guy who signed revolutionary like war hero. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He signed the declaration. Um, he started throwing those uh, forcing fastballs high up in the zone against Nathaniel Lowe and, and Nathaniel Lowe had nothing to, uh, to do with with him uh you see again another great johnny cueto start where he's throwing four pitches 20 plus times each 25 times for a sinker 24 times for his four seam 23 times for his changeup, 21 times for a slider and he also worked in that cutter 13 times Beautiful. he got 12 whiffs on 59 swings six of them coming from that four seam fastball most of them coming from nathaniel Lowe, and he's got a called strike whiff percentage of 27 percent. that's major league average and that's the big thing right there you see the 28 balls in play for Johnny Cueto, an average exit velocity of 81. And that's where the White Sox were beat today. Um, you know, Johnny Cueto obviously allowing hits, 28 balls in play. You have this defense. You have Andrew Vaughn out in right field. Balls are going to get down. It's going to be tough to make those really, really crucial outs. Maybe if you're hustling, you'll be able to make plays like you mentioned at third base to get Tavares out. Um, but the White Sox didn't have a ball hit over a hundred miles per hour. And our guy, uh, uh, Paul correct, always bringing up exit velocity, Ozzie Gee and giving Jason Benetti shit about, uh, exit velocity on the broadcast. Here's a night proving to you that if you hit the ball hard, usually good things happen. And that happened for the, the, the Rangers today. One of the things for Nathaniel Lowe, 112 mile per hour, double put him at second base. He scored the first run and the Rangers really didn't look back since then. Yeah, and I'm just so impressed. You showed the picks, pitch mix and the, the the variance of the pitchers. Like he's using all the whole arsenal evenly and getting people out on these pitches. Like you said, 28 balls in play. He knew one thing that they're not going to take him deep today. It's the ballpark is playing big, even though it's a dome. He knew that none of the pitches, none of these guys who are up there are going to be really crushing him over the fence. You know, Nathan Lowe saw him well, and other people saw him well, but. Johnny Cueto just knows the art of pitching, even though he hasn't probably seen these guys that much. Uh, he just knows the art of pitching. He's just such a artist. I just, I love the guy so much. When and you bring then, up, go ahead. You bring up the play of third base, and and the thing that I thought right away is you think back to Ethan Katz when when Cueto first got here. And, and Katz, who obviously had ex- experience with him in San Francisco, uh, told us he's the best athlete on the team. And I think <laughs> you, you, you look at Johnny Cueto and he doesn't look like Tim Anderson. He doesn't look like Luis Robert. That's a hard, uh, you know, maybe thing to buy from the pitching coach. But uh, he has made some really nice defensive plays this season. And certainly that one tonight covering third base was one of them. What does Tony La Russa always say about Johnny Cueto? He's smart. He's smart. He's smart. He repeats it over and over and over again. 
you throw smart in with athleticism and it's knowing what to do, being a veteran, having the experience to make that play at third base. Obviously earlier in that inning, he had made a bad throw over to first base and that was uh, the first of a few uh, plays in that inning that, that went awry. I'm sure that's on your checklist uh, to talk about here, Sean, but uh, the, the defense was interesting tonight, um, but certainly that play by Cueto at third base was a highlight. Yeah, I mean, we can get into the defense now. You see Andrew Vaughn uh, and A.J. Pollock almost colliding on a sack fly. You mentioned the few that Cueto had. He had a nice play covering third base there. He had also a nice one where he, uh, I think it was a, uh, was it, it wasn't a bunt. It was a tapper in front of the, the mound. He ends up throwing it to second and getting the lead runner. Uh, that, yeah. was on a, that was on a bunt. That was right after. Um, that was right after he made the bad throw to put right. the guy on first. Yeah. And, and, and the bad throw, I mean, it was a very... Tough play to make. I mean, he was running over there, heading towards the third baseline. Uh, he could have gave it to Moncada, but Moncada was a little bit deep playing uh, Garcia. And, you know, he rushed it a little bit. But, I mean, to make that play, you had to rush it. And, you know, with how good he was today, it's really tough to blame Cueto for that one. But, Herb, you also see Andrew Vaughn out in right field, and he's showing off why he's one of the worst defenders in stat cast history, and he doesn't even play that much in right field. But um, isn't that so weird? Like, isn't that weird? Like, no. he was fine in left field last year. Like, he wasn't great, but he was fine, right? And so, like, why is he so – why do you just move him across the outfield and all of a sudden everything is is haywire? That I'm not sure. I think it's probably difficult to read right-handers and the opposite field uh, slice that those balls have. So I would say that maybe that plays into factor there. Um, And I mean, that's really my only thought. I think he's gotten slower as well. I I think that part of the reason why you see the the dip in those outside metrics is, A, I think he's slower. He's getting to less balls. I think he had fresher legs last year. Um, And I think just too like he's shown that he's a professional outfielder in the fact that he's not going to make stupid plays like Garcia like dropping balls like that um and and then also uh he had the one where uh you know Garcia ends up kicking the ball away like Vaughn hasn't had any of those like errors like that but he just doesn't get there quick enough and and I think that he is just trying to do anything that is hit in his area and he doesn't want to let the team down and I think that's what you see in that Pollock sack fly is he doesn't want to let the team down. He sees that as his area um, when he just needs to back off and give the veteran who has 10 plus years of service time that ball. Absolutely right. And and I think that that uh, but I'll, I'll say this. I, I do disagree that that's like the reason they lost the game. I mean, I, at Steve Stone said at the end of the broadcast, I believe that, you know, they lose this one on a miscommunication. It was a bad play and it was a miscommunication. And anytime you have an outfielders almost colliding, it would seem to me that that is a very avoidable thing. Uh, but they, I, 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 watching the replay of that play, I don't think Pollock gets him at home, right? I mean, no. he was he was scoring regardless. So I mean, like that's not the reason they lost the game, but it was ugly, and it was an emblematic play of kind of some of the defensive problems that the White Sox have dealt with all year. Well, and that's why I think Jason's super chats on the screen. Shout out to Jason for the four dollar ninety nine cent super chat, saying glad we didn't address right field at the deadline. You brought that up at the uh, in the pregame show, just that AJ Pollock. We might start seeing him now that the full force is out there. The six main guys, the six core pieces, we might finally see. AJ Pollock out in right field but what we see is AJ Pollock 35 years old out in center field playing a position that he really hasn't been out since about 2016 and you know those are the two guys that are fielding that game important final fly ball and you know Pollock I think Jason mentioned you know he's got the outfielder's arm but he's still got a left fielder's arm like he's been playing left field for a reason so that's 
where I think it's tough to move on from the trade deadline because you even see Gavin Sheets step up. He's supposed to be the the left-hander that's supposed to solve Hernandez out of the bullpen, uh, and you know he goes down <laughs> and he doesn't do anything for the Sox off the bench. So it is tough. They they don't have a great defender out in right field. Pollock's been hitting the ball better recently, but it seems like the more Vaughn plays out in the outfield, the worse his bat's getting. So I am concerned about that. And Jackie from Southside Sox, the managing editor over there, says offense was comatose. Vaughn was terrible and right, but the real enemy here is roster construction. And what you were talking about right there, yeah, there's no reason why Andrew Vaughn should be in right field on a team that is, well, any team, but a team that's supposed to be competing for a championship. That's malpractice that putting him and Gavin Sheets out there. I know some of this is out of necessity, but now we're ready to go. I don't want to see him ever out there again. But the the main problem is, I think him going into another outfielder, like he's done it. We've seen the injury that Danny Mendick suffered. He's out for the year. Like it's happened. Josh Harrison with Andrew Vaughn multiple times this year. Like he got injured one game, Josh Harrison. So like it's a thing with this team. It's not necessarily just Andrew, but he's a fault tonight. It's organizational. Debo, I don't know what you're teaching. I don't know what the White Sox outfield staff is teaching these guys about communication because we see it time and time again. They might be yelling it. They might be saying it, but the message is not getting through. So it might be a time for somebody else to say, hey, this is what we do in the outfield, and maybe another messenger is needed out there. I'm not looking to fire Debo necessarily. He can go somewhere else. He can go organizationally somewhere else. But obviously something's going on with the the outfield defense. Well, and maybe that's why they keep mentioning the word leader. I mean, we see A.J. Pollock hustling on that infield single um, and running his ass off. Maybe they need a leader out there in the outfield. Uh, Luis Robert hasn't played center field there in a bit. Um, He obviously has been dealing with stuff uh, pre-All-Star break, and we're going to see him tomorrow uh, for the first time in center field since Minnesota. So that's going to be good to see. And maybe you get your your center field captain out there because the whole thing is, you know, Aloy, if it's hit anywhere near you and uh, Luis Robert, Luis has that ball. And maybe they just have that understanding with that one guy in the middle, and he is your you know everyday center fielder, Luis Robert. Well, and I'll say this on the roster construction point too. There's maybe a difference between – versatility being a great attribute and being the starting right fielder. I mean, you know, like if we saw Andrew Vaughn out in right field a handful of times to give somebody a rest or, you know, because an injury happens and you got to plug him in there, then all of a sudden that becomes like, Oh, good for you, Andrew Vaughn. You can do that. That's great. (laughs) You know, like great. That's great for the team that you you don't, you can move him there Um, to have him be the everyday right fielder. I think in the preseason we talked about it and said, you know, that a few of us said like that that wouldn't be the worst thing because of what we saw from him in left field last year. Mm -hmm. But obviously the results this year have been much different. And so, you know, like I, like I was saying in the pregame show, like you brought up AJ Pollock was signed to be or traded for to be the right fielder. And he's barely played there because of the injury to Aloy Jimenez. Some of it is, you know, the cookie has crumbled in a crappy way. And some of it is, you're finding out maybe that your your versatile guy, Andrew Vaughn, versatility only goes so far. Right. And again, it's kind of forced versatility. I want to say he's like more flexible than versatile because if he was versatile, I think he'd be working out better. I well, think I just, he's just I showing just, that he, yeah. I just do go back to last year. And, and I mean, like, what was there a complaint with the way he played left field last year? Obviously, there was room for improvement just, you know, in a vacuum. 
this guy could be there. You could get player X who is better than him. But given the situation, it seemed like a pretty fantastic job by him, what he was able to do out there. And I don't remember a lot of plays where you went, Ooh, Ooh, you know what I mean? Like there were a lot, he just, like you said, did what he was supposed to do and it worked. The fact that on the other side of the field, it is very much not that the case is, is perplexing. I think. Yeah. I I mean, so this year uh, in right field, he's got an outs above average of minus one on 37 attempts Uh, in left field. He's got a minus seven outs above average on 44 attempts. Um, and I think part of it was the the slice I was talking about in right field versus left-handed batters. He's got a minus one outs above average uh, in left field versus left-handed batters. He's got a minus five outs above average. Um, but I, I mean, you also look at the estimated success rate. So they're saying that, you know, how many balls is he estimated to catch? Um, his actual success rate is 75%. So I think he's probably just slower from last year. And that slowness, again, it's a game of inches here in baseball. I think that slowness is probably slowing his ability down to be where he was last year. He's just a first baseman. I think we've seen it uh, or enough of him in the outfield to show that, you know, he's just a first baseman. I mean, even him running around the bases reminds so many people of Paul Konerko, I think for a reason, just because he's pretty lead footed. So I, I think that his speed whoa, is whoa, really whoa. hurting him. Paul Konerko, let's not go quite that far. Hey, Paul Konerko turned that one into an inside the parker. Andrew Vaughn stayed at third base, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) And no one ever would bet on Paul Konerko to hit an inside the park grand slam. But if you were, the best way to support CHGO is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. If you do that right now, you get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. That's not it. If you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free t-shirt of your choice from the chgo locker that's two thousand dollars in free bets a free chgo membership and a free t-shirt from the chgo locker all for making more than a fifty dollar first time deposit at points bet if you have any questions you can email points bet at allchgo.com and we'll help you out and points bets your home for live and play betting and it just got even better if you see an edge in the game you're watching your favorite team is primed for a comeback don't just watch the game bet along with it live there's more live betting more live markets and faster live cash outs with the points bet app so what are you waiting for it's time to elevate your live betting game Download the PointsBet app and use promo code CHGO when you sign up. And once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. And when you're in that hot Arlington heat, even though it's in a dome now, when you're sweating and putting all that work into your daily routine, I have to tell you about Owen. It is going to help you after your post-workouts, your pre-workouts, it stands for only what you need. It is only what you need because it's a 100% plant-based protein shake that gives you nutrition that works as hard as you do. All of their products are free, to, free of artificial ingredients, allergen-friendly, there's no gluten or dairy, and they're easily digestible. Herb went out yesterday, or uh, I guess it was Tuesday, right? No, it was yesterday. I believe. Oh, Tuesday. Yes, Tuesday. Tuesday. You went out These Tuesday, but went across the street other. from the office, Went out and got yourself a chocolate Owen, Delicious. and you refueled with the great, great 100% plant-based protein shake. Again, it is a snack herb, and it refills you for the entire CHGO White Sox podcast. You first heard about it from Chicago Bears quarterback Justin Fields, who follows a plant-based diet. That's why he drinks Owen, and Owen and CHGO have partnered up to give you an awesome offer. You can get 20% off your first purchase at liveowen.com. That's L I V E. O-W-Y-N.com. And with code CHGO20, you can get 20% off your first purchase. Again, at liveowen.com. Join me and Justin Fields and try Owen only what you need. All right, Vinny, let's get into your uh, little table <laughs> talk here. 
<laughs> Man, you should have you should have pushed play on this thing right when I logged on because that was real hot then. Oh, I can't get you hot thinking about IKEA IKEA uh, furniture. It'll probably take me like two seconds. My mom had a sing, similar issue. She's building a white cabinet, and none of the holes lined up. I mean, all the directions were there. Everything was there. And it's not even like the alternate method that you were saying. Like the straight instructions were just wrong. The straight holes were lined up wrong. So I know the frustration of a either poorly built Ikea furniture or just trying to turn Ikea furniture into something it isn't. So I, I, I felt your pain when you started yeah. ranting about it. Yeah. So yes, the, the activity for this evening during the White Sox game, I had it on, had it on. And I, and I decided to uh, keep busy. You know, I, I have a, a large Ikea desk that I needed to put together. Got the, the part of it all done all the way. And then I wanted, it's a, it's a bookshelf with a desk attached to it. So I built the bookshelf. No problem. Done. The desk part you need to attach. And I, it's supposed, it, the way they tell you to do it is to have the bookshelf standing up and the desk coming off the middle of it. I wanted to do the alternate method, which is have the bookshelf lie on its side with the desk. You make like an L, like an L desk kind of thing. You got twice as much desk space here, Sean. Um, what are they doing? They, suggesting it the other way. Well, and they advertise that you can do it that way. So I'm like, oh, so it'll be fine. It'll work fine. But then I get the instructions. I open up the box. Turns out, if you want the if you want the desk like the way I want it, you got to drill holes in the bookshelf. Uh, come on, there already should be holes drilled in the bookshelf. So I have a drill. I go to get the drill. The battery is not charged. And so I charge the battery for like literally like two thirds of the game. Like it's been like like an hour and a half at least. And I go, I pop the battery in, put the drill down. I get one second. I get like two spins Ugh. out of the drill. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at my wit's end with this thing. It's, it's sitting in there, not finished. Brutal. I'm so sorry to hear that. I wanted to have it. I wanted to have it for the, uh, for the wife to come home tonight, have the nice desk done. Now (laughs) it's going to be in pieces. I'm going to look like a fail husband, failure of a husband. So it's just like the Simpsons where everyone shares those rebuild plans. And it's like, this is what we expected it to be. And here is just a pile of garbage. You know, (laughs) here's a pile of wood. Welcome home, honey. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. English instructions ruined. Must use French instructions. Lay grill. What the hell is that? Um, so yeah, they, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's it's been it's been a frustrating evening, and that's uh, before we uh, talk about your feelings on the White Sox. My feelings on the uh, the Swedish furniture industry is not uh, are not happy at the moment. I think Baloney is uh, is Swedish, and he says IKEA furniture construction is less frustrating than this team. Herb, uh, you an IKEA guy? What would you say, uh, IKEA furniture or White Sox baseball? Which one's more frustrating? White Sox baseball, hands down. IKEA <laughs> furniture for me. I'm not as venturous as Vinny is and if that thing would have said hey you need a drill like this thing ain't getting built then because I don't have one never have because the most of the Ikea furniture I got is just those little like little wood chunks in there or you just screw in with the the L whatever the The Allen wrench yeah Mm -hmm. Allen wrench see you guys know things Allen wrench and well, we're living here in Allen wrench (laughs) (laughs) Billy Joel is rolling in his grave Still alive, Billy. Uh, so you, you, <laughs> you, 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 you make you sure because you might have just killed him with that version. I'm kidding, Vinny. You're great. Um, the White Sox, they're frustrating every single day. Like somebody was asking me, it's like, how do you guys do this every day? It's like some days are great, but some days are really, really difficult because 
the pitcher out there and making his major league debut, Reagan was fine. He was fine. Like his like if we put the pitch mix up there, he is the White Sox were getting to him, following the ball off enough, putting the ball in play enough where he wasn't really striking him out except for that cutter, which Yasmani Grandal could not see. Cutter, middle, middle. Just frustrating that they didn't take advantage of a guy that was not overwhelmingly great. And yeah. the people who came in after him, now those people were overwhelmingly great, like Matt Moore and that pitcher in the ninth inning. Uh, was it Rodriguez? Hernandez? Who friends. Those guys, I understand why you struggle, but not against that starter. Not even bringing up a Chicago-born Brian Burke. Uh, Brian Burke going two innings, and he looked like all arms and legs and just nasty stuff uh, from didn't him. They said on the Brockies he got the lowest ERA in baseball. Is that true? How, why didn't they trade him at the trade deadline? <laughs> Seriously. They, they kept him, met more. Like, they got all these things. Like, they're about to compete now. Like, a full, bu- great-ass bullpen for no reason. And they're all lefties, I, I, which I don't understand, <laughs> Like especially this White Sox team. And, hey, Alex Rude said in the pregame show, 10 and 11, the White Sox are now 10 and 12 versus left-handed pitching. And this was basically, outside of Hernandez in the ninth, all left-handed pitching. And the White Sox could not do anything. Again, they didn't have a single ball over 100 miles per hour hit today. And it's tough because, like, I, I don't know if I'm, like, frustrated with this team after this performance because what we wanted them to do is – you know, have better at bats. And I think that they've, they had better at bats today. I mean, the fact that they draw out, uh, drew uh, six walks is insane. I think that was the first time they said that on the broadcast, the first time since like June 20th or something where they had six walks. Um, so that is crazy. I mean, they had still five hits that should be enough to get runners in. But again, it is the fact that there was only one extra base hit and it was basically a bloop single that turned into a triple. So Again, it's just frustrating where you have the White Sox going up against left-handed pitching, their strength, and they're not able to do anything with it. And and it's exactly like the Kansas City game on Monday. He, I mean, credit to Raggins, first major league start, getting into trouble like he did with 26 pitches in the first inning. He pitched around it, and he looked good. Um, And it's all about limiting hard contact. I mean, you, you saw that with Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto wasn't giving up super hard contact today. Raggins didn't either. None of their bullpen arms did, and... Uh, it, it really just starts to look like certain guys on the Sox aren't having great at-bats. You look at Luis Roberts today. Luis Robert almost walked for three awesome. times in his, his career, the first time, three times in a game. He Should've. didn't have a bad at-bat all night. Uh, Jose Abreu looked all right tonight. I, I really can't point out anything bad he did. Jimenez was giving it his best up there, but like Tim Anderson looks rough. Yon Moncada looks rough. Grandal looks rough. I'll give a credit to uh, Pollock as well. He looks fine at the plate, but those three – really sticking out as like the true guys that aren't performing for the White Sox. And I think if those guys stepped it up, you know, this is probably a different game. And I like what you said about Luis Robert. He had some of the best at bats he's had all year, not chasing pitching pitchers, pitches. The guy was around the plate and he was just sitting on those balls and spitting on them. It was good to see. He drew a lot of pitches out of the Reagans and he made sure that he was only going to swing at his pitches. And that is a, change of uh of what Luis Robert was doing just a month ago he's feeling a little bit better at the plate when he struck out with that pitch that was way inside uh, I don't know if we still have it Steven if you guys are watching on YouTube I think it's pitch number nine it's a three two pitch if you're looking on YouTube it's inside probably about can't see like six seven inches no, off the plate you're being dramatic you can't uh, 
I'm, That's not six inches off the plate. In 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 real life? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean it was it was life. it was a bad call, and it I was, think it's outside of the two inch buffer. You know but it's inches like three are? inches out. You know, six. It's not that it was a borderline call. I'm not saying it was definitely hundred percent ball. They give them that. That uh, like I said, that uh, that levity or that that yeah, inch to I, get I'd there. S- I'd say but six I'd inches say... is where one is. Where's the? Oh, okay. You think it's that for? That's like a foot inside. That's way off. But I the point is that I think Rob Drake got the feeling of the atmosphere, wanted the crowd to pop because he was doing the yeah Enrico Palazzo. Yeah, I mean, he didn't do like a real, but he did this regular punch out thing. Like he wanted the crowd to feel good about himself. I think that's just human nature sometimes. And Rob Drake's not a great guy, but he's even a worse umpire right there because what is he doing there? He's giving that pitch all game long, but it's way off of the plate. Like it's inexcusably off the plate where he shouldn't really call that a strike. But I think he was feeling the fire and feeling the atmosphere and wanted the crowd pop. Was it even that loud? I didn't notice that the Arlington Stadium was that loud. That's um, the stadium doesn't get that loud. It seems like lost. It doesn't, lost have, the air. It doesn't yeah. get that packed either. Um, I do see two people uh, bringing up, say Ferris and Wayne, bringing up that the last at-bat by Robert was weak. Um, I, I think it was interesting just seeing Hernandez come in. He's been throwing 50% sinkers his entire like season. And he, to the first two batters, to Gavin Sheets and to Tim Anderson, I think he threw one sinker to them and it really felt like you weren't going to be getting that fastball to him. Um, the first, I think two were out of the zone and those were bad swings by Luis. But the fact that he showed any semblance of plate discipline in the first couple at bats, uh, I'll, I'll give him a slide, especially the first game back. I, I don't really want to be too overcritical uh, of Luis Robert here. Um, but again, I, I think that if you want to sh- uh, show Steven uh, the, heat map for um cole raggins today and just kind of show you where he worked um Ooh. as a right or as a lefty working in to to right-handed hitters completely and you see those red dots really in on those white socks uh and you could see herb i mean that's really in the area of where Luis robert ends up getting rung up uh kind of where that bottom left uh, hand blob is um and then he was really just spotting the fastball into righties and then that change up low and away uh, to righties as well. And it just was a nice mix. Um, I don't know if it was Cole Hamill's uh, like, if it was a Cole Hamill special, but a guy in his first start looks real good um, and looks like he's got decent control. So uh, watch out. Texas might've found a good one here. That Rorschach test that you put up every once in a while is entertaining. <laughs> I think we got a couple more Vinny. So uh, yeah. after the ad, break, I saw a frog, I saw a frog in that last one, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> I saw a daffodil. All right, we'll, we'll we'll test you more with the Rorschach test because we got some uh, we got some other ones, especially from Brock Burke. I know you guys are dying to see the Brock Burke uh, Rorschach test here. Uh, now let's go to take a quick ad break and then we'll wrap up this with another uh, good old good old uh, Rorschach test. Uh, the best way to support CHGO is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. Not only are you going to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000, but if you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. If you have any questions, you can email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we'll help you out. And in case you missed it, online sign-up is available in Illinois. You can download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish, all from your phone. You'll be signing up with the fastest sportsbook easier than ever, so you can start living your bet life in seconds so what are you waiting for once the game starts don't just bet live your bet life with points bet gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 something i bet on tonight the astros to win 
mm-hmm. the uh, Blue Jays to win and the White Sox to win. All right, so uh, I didn't end up winning that bet. Thanks you to know the what, White Sox. You know what meat? You know what meatloaf says, Sean. Two out of three ain't bad. Uh, two out of three loses you a bet. Um, and hey, two out of three doesn't move you up in the division, which I think is probably the most frustrating thing to most people and most White Sox fans is the fact that the Blue Jays and Astros took care of business. The White Sox couldn't take care of business against the 500 or sub 500 team. Part of the reason was Brock Burke. Uh, let's show the uh, other Rorschach chest uh, here, uh, Stephen. Uh, let's see Brock Burke. Uh, you could just see where he was locating. And this goes into your whole gripe with the least Robert one. You could kind of see it sticking out there on the inside. Uh, Vinny, what do you see? Or, or maybe you should be looking at this and uh, have an answer once we uh, take it off the screen. But Brock Burke was elite today, uh, really just able to locate wherever he wanted, really avoiding that middle top of the zone. Um it was really a fantastic effort from Brock Burke and a really fantastic arm coming out of that Texas bullpen. Someone you're going to have to watch out for the next three series or three games in this series, because I don't think the White Sox can hit this guy. if He's going to be locating like this. Skydivers. I see skydivers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I see a poodle bucking off a crash test dummy looking for a ball. <laughs> there you go. Am I crazy? That, no, I mean, I'm, I'm crazy. Ah, son of a bitch. You guys have great imaginations. Mm. I have no idea what to, to even see. And, and chat, chime in if you see any uh, anything in the Brock Burke heat map here. Um, I, I like poodle and ball. I think that's a, a good suggestion from Herb Lawrence here. I mean, uh, let, she's just painting over there, like high inside fastballs to right handers and in painting on the outside. Like he's got the sub, uh, the lowest ERA in the league for a reason. Like I saw a couple pitches, then so did uh, I think Yoan Moncada got off of Matt Moore than uh, Brock Burke. But they had some good at bats versus this guy, and he was filthy. Their whole bullpen is just nasty. So I got to credit them for, and Luis Robert last at bat, excluding that guy's filthy. You got to give him a break. God damn. The dude was doing 99 mile per hour sinkers in on your hands come on now but the white Sox had better at bats versus their bullpen than they had versus their starter i would disagree you i would? think yeah i mean brock burke ate him up i mean four strikeouts in two innings uh matt moore was i guess the only guy that i really felt like the white Sox could even see and then hernandez dominated them uh setting them down in one two three i mean they at least clogged the bases the first inning they got the bases loaded they just weren't able to come through and there was a couple too where you know he ends up getting weak contact that turns into ground ball uh double plays he got two ground ball double plays uh, to get out of the inning uh, that was Raggins. But, you know, I, I really didn't think the White Sox couldn't get a run past him. You know, I, I, th- I thought it was coming. It felt like it was coming at any moment, especially with the way that they got his pitch count up in the first inning. So I, I'm pretty disappointed that they couldn't hit Raggins because or at least push any runs across uh, against Raggins. That was probably the most disappointing part of today. I agree. I mean, I wasn't saying that they they had a better success. I think they had better at bats. Their bats and approaching these guys was better than they had with Cole Ragan. Or yeah, because he was more in the zone and balls that were more available to hit. And the White Sox did not punish him. Uh, going back to that first inning, Yoan Moncada swing on the first pitch uh, at bat. Now Yoan eventually came through, but I think also you said it was just a, a lazy fly ball to right where. A guy who had a terrible day, Adolis Garcia, knocks the ball away and runs that into an RBI triple. And what's the official scorer doing there, man? That's a 
at most an RBI double with an error right there for Adolis Garcia. Give him two for the day. He was really rough. But the White Sox didn't take advantage of uh, Yohan at third in scoring him. So I think overall they had better at-bats later than they had earlier. Yeah, I mean, they, they got to get better anyways. I mean, they got to they gotta hit the ball harder if they want to win uh, in any of the games coming up uh, this weekend against Texas. I think the biggest part, again, and we, we mentioned it a little bit, but Houston gets dominant or Houston dominates uh, Cleveland. Justin Verlander shutting out the Guardians, which was great for the White Sox. The Blue Jays end up pulling away and powering themselves past the Minnesota Twins. But here are the White Sox losing. Mm-hmm. They fall 53 and, and 52. They're two games back of the Twins who are in first place at 55 and 50 and the Guardians in second place at 54 and 51. There was a graphic that popped up on the broadcast showing the White Sox, the Guardians and Twins next couple of opponents in their winning percentage and the Twins, Guardians facing teams that are well above 500. I think it was a 54 winning percentage and then a 51 winning percentage for those two teams respectively and the White Sox around a 41 winning percentage for the opponents coming up. You have Texas that you just lost the first one to. You have Kansas City coming up. You have Detroit coming up. I mean, the division feels like it's in, you know, for the taking. I mean, if the White Sox are able to take care of business, we could be talking about a first place White Sox team. You get great performances from the Astros and Blue Jays, and you're not able to take advantage of it. And I think, again, you know, if you can't let these moments slip away or we're going to be dealing with those last nine games or six of them against Minnesota, Vinny, like well, but the more and more games like this just make me nervous. Here's the thing, though. The, the, the point is that you say you feel like it's there for the taking. It's not there for the taking because all three of these teams are playing the same brand of disappointing baseball. They have been all year. That's why they're all bunched up right now as we are here in August. Um, what you can hang your hat on, and it's not going to uh, you know, make anybody very happy, but is that they're all the same. So if you don't want to call it there for the taking, because you know that makes it kind of there, that kind of describes the White Sox as being able to sprint right by you know these teams if they get hot. I think all you got to do now is that hope that it does come back down to those last nine games where six of them are against Minnesota, because then you just play, all you got to do is play like two or three games better than you were going to, you know, by doing this whole 500 dance that the White Sox have been doing all year. And you win the division at the end of the year, because the twins are not playing better. The, the guardians are not playing better. So they're all going to be all bunched up until you get to the end, barring some sort of huge, you know, in injury that changes everything. But, um, certainly this is an opportunity for the White Sox. I think right now, until uh, they decide to play a lot differently and until they decide to go on a winning streak and until they show us that the first four months were not going to be what the last two months are, you should expect them to not take dramatic advantage of that opportunity, but to not really blow it either, right? So uh, that is not, of course, what anybody wants to hear, but that's the story we've been uh, told or we've been watching for the first four months. I don't understand why it would change until uh, until we have reason to believe it would. Then I just wish it would change. I just want it to change. That's a, let, me, let me just make it more clear. I just need it to change. I mean, you have the opportunity to at least be one game back, even though you're not playing great baseball. You have the opportunity to be one game back. You have the opportunity to be tied in the win column with the Guardians today. I'm they're probably not scoreboard watching. I'm scoreboard watching. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't know. Like, you know, take advantage or, you know, I mean, let's paraphrase the great epic faith. No more the band faith. No more. They want it all, but they can't have it. 
it's in their face, but they can't grab it. Did I just kill somebody, <laughs> Vinny? <laughs> no, I don't even know. That, I, that, that. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. I don't know if I would call them great and epic, but uh, it was a, it was a it was a well uh, well it was a good dramatic reading. Her. Well, yeah, weren't you so- quoting Epic the song? <laughs> Yeah, Faith and More is the group. Yes. Oh, there you right. Go. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I thought yes. you were using it as a lowercase, no. as an adjective. Oh, no. It's um, this. What it, is this? Now you just killed somebody. But it's <laughs> like I said yesterday it or two days ago, it's baseball hell. We're here where we see we can go to the promised land of first place for AL Central, go to the playoffs. Even in the wild card, we're really kind of close, but there's a couple teams in front of us there. But the White Sox don't want it. I mean, it's not don't want it, but they can't just go and grab it and take over. Like you Herb. said, we have what? You got it wrong. It's not baseball hell. It's baseball purgatory. Oh, even worse. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. It's even worse. Like, we're just right there. We have these bum teams, and these other teams we're going against, the Twins and the Guardians, have pretty much champions there. Blue Jays are going to the playoffs, and the Astros, of course, going to the playoffs. They took care of business for us, and – we lose to the Texas Rangers. I don't know what this bugaboo is with the first couple games of a series, too. It's just frustrating that I don't know. I don't know if they don't get right or get ready. Something has to like all this. This whole season is just so frustratingly paradoxical. I don't know what's going on. They can't hit where they're supposed to hit. They don't play well on first games. They don't hit lefties like they used to. All the things that we thought we knew are backwards and they don't work anymore. It's so frustrating to watch this thing. And so I want to go and fix an Ikea desk right goddamn now because I'll calm down <laughs> from that. Bring it, bring it, bring it. Hey, if you got a fully charged drill, bring it over. We'll be done in five <laughs> seconds. I think they've lost seven of the last nine opening games in a series uh, dating back all the way to the uh, prior to the sweep of the San Francisco Giants. So uh, it hasn't been pretty. Uh, to say the least. And 0 for 6 today with runners in scoring position. That's basically where the game was decided. Rangers go 3 for 8 with runners in scoring position. White Sox go 0 for 6 and leave 9 guys on base. So just an ugly, another ugly game. We're just not able to, again, have that big hit, that big moment, that big run scoring uh, you know, a- a- adventure for the Sox. And we'll see if that happens uh, at all this weekend. Uh, let's look at the weekend matchup and preview this for the people that uh, won't be getting a pregame show. We will be with you on Sunday for the matchup between Giolito and Spencer Howard. Uh, that will be starting at one o'clock, a one o'clock pregame. And then we'll have a postgame after that one on Sunday, August 7th. But tomorrow we got Dylan Cease versus Glenn Otto. Vinny, what has been the key to Dylan Cease turning it on as you see a 201 ERA uh, right now? Yeah, I mean, he keeps getting asked that, and the first thing he jumps to is that slider, and I think that should come as no surprise with uh, that being one of the best pitches in baseball this year. Um, it, it's it's such an effective weapon. I think if you're uh, the White Sox, what you got to do, or if you're Dylan Cease, what you got to do is, uh, you know, be ready for the day when the hitters adjust, right? I mean, that can be the best pitch in baseball right now, but uh, you know, this is a game where where folks tend to figure stuff out. Um, the good news for Dylan is that he has thrown a lot of pitches. He's got, you know what I mean? He's got way more than just that slider, as, as Tony LaRusso rem- reminds us every time we ask him about the slider. Um, and that he's shown an ability to evolve, an ability to take coaching from Ethan Katz. So I, I'm pretty positive that they have a really good game plan if and when that slider is not, uh, you know, just – making everybody look foolish. So uh, that's what he credits. But I also think that he has the tools to go ahead and continue to evolve, continue to play that game of adjustments that that this 
that this sport really is. Um, he's been fantastic, and you wouldn't expect anything else uh, when he uh, takes the mound, really, every, every time. Absolutely. And you see just the way that that slider has affected teams that have not seen it. And that makes me very excited because Dylan last year was finding himself last uh, in the last latter half of the season. And on September 7th, he went five innings, four hits, no earned runs, two walks, 10 strikeouts with 15 swinging strikes. You have a feeling with that new slider that you're probably going to see double digit strikeouts again. Uh, and we'll see if, if it, you know, maybe it's a 12 game strikeout for him. Maybe it's a 13 game strikeout. And we saw how efficient uh, Johnny Cueto was today. You know, I think he had like 73 pitches going into the eighth inning. You know, if, if he's able to be efficient tomorrow, maybe we even see a complete game shutout from Dylan Cease. I mean, he's been that good. You're just surprised he hasn't had like that truly defining game just yet that Lucas Giolito had a couple of years. Uh, you know, he had a, a, a nine game complete game shutout uh, last year of the Astros uh, 2020, obviously had the no hitter 2019. He went into Minnesota, had a complete game shutout. I do feel like Dylan Cease needs one of those games and shout out to Matthew Cortese coming in with the super chat saying, you guys are the best. We appreciate you, Matthew, always being in here, hanging out with us. And that goes the same for Wayne and Clark and all you guys hanging out with us but Matthew wanna... one of these days Matthew that no hitter is going to happen <laughs> <laughs> one day and it'll be five to nothing too in honor of you just like that Josh Fields game uh where, where Mark Burley throws the perfect game uh but I do want to bring this up this is from a, a, a former you know a co-host on the show uh a, a former guest of the show uh Pine Tar Keyboard uh Zach Hayes over at Southside Sox and uh, he wrote up about Dylan Cease's slider. Dylan Cease, White Sox new slider, is smashing records. And he talks about the run value of Dylan Cease's slider. Right now it's at minus negative 29.6. And in the StatCast era, dating back all the way to 2008, that is the third lowest run value already. And it's only August wow. 4th. And uh, I think he's got only about like three or so runs to jump Armando Calaraga Ooh. of 2008. And you, Darvish of 2013. So Dylan is really finding something that, you know, is, is, is new. I mean, this, this slider is elite and, and he's getting great break on it. And, and uh, in that article too, uh, Zach talks about how the break has changed uh, this year from last year. And Dylan Cease should have a big time strikeout game. I mean, the Texas Rangers are one of the worst teams as far as uh, not striking out in the league. I think they're 23rd in strikeouts per game. Like, uh, six less, six uh, lowest in the league, tied with the Reds right now. They should strike out a lot because that slider, like you said, plays. And I liked a couple times when he was throwing the knuckle curve. Like he would throw it at the top of the zone just to, you know, change the eye level, not just dirtying those knuckle curves. Um, last time he went out there, and then of course, still has 98 miles per hour on a four seam fastball, which is weird to say is a secondary pitch because that slider plays so much. And to hear those numbers you're just cited off is just amazing. Third best since 2008 ever for a season. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. That's just amazing. Like we didn't it's think that, climbing. that it was going to come this soon. I didn't think it was going to come this soon that where Dylan Cease is a top level elite pitcher, but he's there right now. He's currently there as the two time reigning pitcher of the month for the AL. It's amazing. And kudos to him for doing the work and kudos to Ethan Katz for getting these guys where they are today. 
And funny enough, uh, Vinny brought up earlier run support for Johnny Cueto. Uh, he's averaging 4.68 runs per game in game started. Mm-hmm. Dylan Cease averaging 4.95. He's only had one start where the White Sox offense has given him less than three runs. Seven starts with seven uh, or seven starts with three runs or more. Uh, four starts with two. Five starts with four uh, or four starts with five. Uh, one start with six. Uh, four starts with seven, one start with nine, and another with 11 total runs. Only one game, and that was the loss to the Tigers and Bo Brisky, where they only gave him one run of support. And Johnny Cueto uh, really hasn't had that same success. Another game where he only gets two runs of support there. So, uh, you know, difficult there. And obviously, if you're going to be that great of a pitcher, you still need the offense to show up. Absolutely. I mean, come on. It's been the story of the year. The, the, the starting pitching has been mostly fine, obviously. Uh, you know, Lance Lynn, for the uh, the, the better uh, couple, better percentage of his season so far, has uh, not been where he wanted to be. Lucas Giolito, better percentage of his season, has not been where he wants to be. But Cease has been great. Cueto's been great. Uh, Kopech's been good. And overall, they've been pretty good. The bats, man. The bats, they can't score the runs. They can hit. We know they can hit. Mm-hmm. But they can't score. And uh, they can't hit home runs. And uh, until proven otherwise, that's going to be a very difficult thing to win a division while not being able to do either of those two things. Yeah, clearly leading the MLB in batting average shows that they can put the bat onto the ball. It's just about hitting it a little bit harder, lads. Um, And just to wrap this whole Johnny Cueto show up, uh, this one's from Chris Kampka. Cueto does it again. Most six innings pitched uh, or most six innings pitched in a start. Uh, by White Sox this season, 13 starts with six-plus innings for Johnny Cueto out of his 14 starts. Dylan Cease has nine. Lucas Giolito has eight. So we'll see if Dylan can make that 10 tomorrow. And then on Saturday, it is Michael Kopech on the bump versus old friend Dane Dunning. Um, So we'll see how those two go to battle against each other. And again, we'll be joining you on Sunday for a pregame at 1 p.m. and a postgame to follow. That's no... That's Vinny Duber. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. He's a CHGO White Sox beat writer. That's Herb Lawrence. You can follow him on Twitter at Eckerwall23. It's like Hollywood Squares. Um, and he's the CHGO White Sox community leader. I'm Shadow Stevens. Uh, ooh, mm. I'll be whoopee. I'll, I'll ooh. be brave. I'll be whoopee. I don't know who you're talking about, Herb. I know Paul Lind. Paul Lind. Of course, from the who old, doesn't know Paul yeah. Lind. There you go. <laughs> Hollywood Square should have us on. Anyways, thank you, Stephen Nicholas, as well, our producer. And thank you to uh, Fleetwood Mac for their 1979 album, Tusk. Appreciate Clark, Matthew, Red Tornado, Baloney for all hanging out with us in the live chat. And again, we will talk to you on Sunday for the pregame show at 1 p.m. Go White Sox.